What an absolute privilege to be together in this moment. Thank you so much for joining us to all our friends who are joining us for the first time. We love the fact that you are with us and that we still get to worship together. I trust that you are up for it. I trust that you find yourself off your couch praising the name of Jesus. Thank you to Mission Jerry for leading us in worship this morning. And then what you'll notice is I have some friends with me in, what do we call it? Studio, the arena. I don't, I don't know what it is. Uh, it's, we all mean it's a renter crowd, but it's good. I mean, we couldn't afford, but, but it's all good. I mean, we, uh, and they say the greatest fears are death. Most people, that's their greatest fear. The second one, public speaking. And the challenge is that's all changed now in Corona. The first one's still death, and we're not going to explain that. The second one, very much public speaking where there's no public to whom you're speaking. That's the new fear. Uh, the third one is that Liverpool might win again in our lifetime because it's been ridiculous and painful. Uh, we'll see. Time will tell again. I said again. Again. I want to say thank you. We've loved the drive-thru. If you came last week or yesterday to the drive-thru, we love the fact that we can rub elbows and we can see faces and we can have communion together. We can share community. If you haven't had a chance to come across town to join us wherever you are coming from, we'd love to welcome you. We'd love to put a coffee in your hand. We'd love to see your face. We'd love to smile behind the mask, whatever it is. But we'd love the fact that we can gather in these moments. And a couple of things some people have asked me, are we never meeting again? We will meet again. I promise you, I am just as eager to be in a building together to hear the praises of the church roar the ceilings again. I can't wait for that moment, but we are trusting God. We are trusting His leading. We are watching and listening to our leaders of this nation and watching the statistics in Cape Town specifically. And I trust at the right time when we meet, it will be glorious. And we will raise the roof across the city in Tableview and Milneton and the city. But at these times, we want to hear God and make sure we're walking with wisdom. So keep praying for that moment. But I do want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for your courage. You are courageous people. Thank you for your enthusiasm. And it's, whether it's a comment online, whether it's a face at a drive-thru or whatever it is, thank you for your enthusiasm. Thank you for your resilience. Thank you for your generosity. And um, as a faithful church, you've kept giving to the mission of God, which has allowed us to keep moving forward and seeking, keeping the kingdom of God coming, which we love. And, and the fact that we get to do that together and partner is phenomenal. So give yourself a high five. How do you do that? Get one of these? Just, I don't know. Just realize, well done. You, you did it. And um, before I pray, we're going to do a little something different. I'm going to ask my beautiful wife, Candice, um, to come and join me. And she's going to pray for us this morning yeah. as we Come together under the word. Cool. Morning, everybody. It's so good to be here. Let's just bow our heads and let's, yeah. let's pray. Father God, we just um, come to you this morning, Lord. We know that you are here and um, you are so present with us right now. Wherever we're at, Lord, wherever we are right now, you are yeah. here, Lord. So, Father, we just open our hearts wide. Our hearts are filled with faith and um, expectancy for, for just going deeper with you, Lord, and, and knowing you more, Father God. And I just pray for my man. I just pray your, your um, power into every word that he speaks, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead him, guide him as he preaches right now, Father God. And um, open our hearts wide to receive, Lord. We, yeah. we love you, Lord, and we want to go deeper. We want to know yes. you more. And um, so, Father, we just commit this time to you yeah. in your precious, beautiful name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Beautiful. Okay. And uh, just to my 
uh, esteemed audience this morning. Um, you're not allowed to fall asleep. There are buzzers, electrical buzzers under your seats. The producer's got all the buttons, which is amazing. And we are jumping into a new series called Prisoners of Hope. And we jumped in last week. My main man, Mr. Gabriel Phillips, in his white jersey today, preached up a storm last week, took us through the life of Joseph, this man who went from the highs of being the, the favorite son to the pit and to prison in his life, and then to prime minister of a nation. And God did that story, and there was something powerful because he held on to the promises that God had for him in that story. But I've loved this story and Prisoners of Hope and the Call. I've been to a few prisons in my time. Just visited, just in case you were wondering, just clarifying. I visited Westville Prison. Actually, one of our church members uh, was doing some time there, some rehabilitatory time, which was good for him at that time. Then I was to say it. We had a bit of prison in Mozambique, tough conditions. I've been to Alcatraz, a famous prison, and I've realized I don't want to be there. And yet the Bible uses this language, say it calls us to be prisoners of hope in all times, but especially in tough times. And God uses this prophet Zechariah and maybe saying, well, what's a prophet? Do we have prophets? No, God used the prophets specifically in the Old Testament to speak these directional words to God's people, to call them back into his presence, to call them back into his ways, to call them back into a, a closeness with his plans for their story. He would use men like Zechariah. And in Zechariah 9, where this scripture comes from, there's something amazing happening. God's people have been in exile for 70 years in Babylon, and they have come back to Jerusalem, but it's, well, it's not what they expected. The walls aren't looking good. The environment's not great. Uh, and, and they would have thought all the promises they had are so close, but they would have been disheartened. They would have been challenged. They would have been, well, why isn't it the prophecy that was made? We basically, on the 70 years now, the timeline lines up. Why aren't all those promises fulfilled? And that's a real question. That's a question many, many ask. And Zechariah comes with the challenge, come back to God. Be the generation who turns back to God and, and make sure that you humble yourselves in that journey. And when you do these things, you will see every promise that God has for you. So we hold on to these promises. I want to read from Zechariah 9 again. It goes like this, verse 12, and I want to read verse 13. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your son Zion against your son's Greece and make you like a warrior's sword. So there's this challenge. Return to your fortress. Return to a place of safety. Return to this place that is a safe space for you. I made a platform for my kids in my head. It's a glorious tree house it's really just a platform in the tree but you hear them back to the base back to the safe space and they climb the tree and they get up there well this mandate and this call is to the people of God get your focus back on God but return to the safest strongest place you can find return to hope the hope we have in Jesus but I love verse 13 it says this amazing and challenges I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim Judah means praise, and God says, I'm going to take the praise that you bring. I'm going to bend it. It says, I'm going to bring the bow, the significance of the doctrine of truth. But Ephraim, meaning a fruitfulness and being fruitful, speaking of the, the application of the word and the understanding of that truth. God says, I'm going to take your praise, and I'll take your focus on the truth, and i pull that bow back, and as you lean into me, I'm going to show you that I'm fashioning something. And it ends like this, says, I will rouse, and God says, I'm going to do a whole bunch of things, and I will make you like a warrior's sword. He says, I'm the warrior. 
But this is who you are. You are the warrior's sword. You are the ones that if you will allow that fashion, if you will return to the fortress, there's a fashioning process that is glorious. Because God is a warrior. Imagine 70 years of captivity and you hear this promise. You're like, no, return to the fortress. We'll be back. We were expecting the walls up. We're expecting it looking glorious, like someone's been working on it for 70 years. And God says, no, 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 no. No, I've never called you to rest in a fortified city. I've called you to rest your fortified hearts in God, in His promises, in His grace, in His kindness. And He was showing them that then. He's showing us now. He's calling us back to that place, saying, return to your fortress. It's a challenge because it means you've got to leave some spaces. You've got to leave the fortress of disappointment, the fortress of loss, the fortress of disillusionment, the fortress of the fact that some of your plans aren't panning out the way you planned them out. And you come back to the only fortress that stands. I love the scripture. I love the picture. And Hebrews presents it in this way so gloriously for us. Hebrews 6 verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. And he has become our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Because of what Jesus has done, because of where he's been and only he could go, we have access to the fortress of the presence of God and holding on to that. So I want to ask you this morning, maybe even before we jump into our character for today and our Bible verse for today, it's what's holding you prisoner right now? You've got to answer that. Because there's something. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's lack of provision right now and the ability to provide according to what you have to. It's a whole bunch of things. Well, there's this challenge that the series is saying your strongest position in any time of life, but specifically now in these pressure times, is not a title next to your name, a degree behind your name, or trust fund that holds and undergirds the security that you have. No, the strongest position you have is in the fortress. That is your king. And maybe there's been some shipwrecks and maybe there's been some pain. But we've got to come back. I'm going to tell you right now, come back. Not to church. Not to organized religion. Come back to your fortress. I want to speak about Daniel today and we are speaking about being prisoners of his presence. Yes, our series is Prisoners of Hope, but last week we spoke about being prisoners of the promises, but today I want to speak about being prisoners of His presence, and I want to speak through the life of this most amazing man and amazing book, Daniel. I love this man. I've loved preaching, and the context is God's people have been in exile for years, and Daniel has been in exile for years. He's been and served four different kings. They faced every trial and every challenge. They were taken away at 14 or 15 years old, stolen from their families, taken to a foreign land, raised up in the ways of this land, always longing for their home, always knowing that this wasn't their home. And yet this man, Daniel, and his friends found favor, found promotion under every king and prospered. That's the word the Bible says. It says, this man prospered. So Gabe, a few weeks ago, spoke about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego and their incredible story in the book of Daniel. So I'm not going to speak about that story again, but God was with them in that fire. That's the glorious thing about that story. It says there was a fourth man in the fire. God was with them and presented himself with them in that storm. 
And yet with Daniel, we don't see such encounters, but we see a man who stands because he places himself in the presence of God ongoingly. And I want to show you that this morning. I already read from Daniel chapter 6. And this is what happens. Daniel's promoted. So opposition rises up because when God's men and women are promoted, opposition rises up and they try to catch him. They say, actually, king, and they come to the king and say, king, actually, a king who really likes Daniel because he's really good for his kingdom, say, no one should pray unless they're praying for your good and no one should pray to a foreign god. So they get him to write a law. And what do they do? They catch Daniel doing what he does. And this is how it goes. It says, now when, when Daniel learned the decree had been published, the decree that he couldn't pray, he couldn't do his religious freedom, he went and got grumpy and complained on Hello Peter. Oh no, sorry. He, he made a sad face on Facebook and complained to, no, that's not what he did. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. And it carries on in verse 16. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king was cornered. He had no option. So he had to throw Daniel into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, I mean, what an incredible commendation. Yeah. Not his life group, not his leader at church, his king, yeah. a foreign God, a king who worships himself, says, the king you've served continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. You want to know prison? That's a pretty rough one. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of the nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. This is a life sentence. There is no hope, according to them. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. No Netflix for king this night. And he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near to the den, he called out to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? I mean, what a crazy thing. He's been in a pit all night with lions, hungry lions. I mean, the king comes. Why? Because this king's watched this man's life. He's seen the favor on his life. He cannot deny what God has done in this man's life. So he knows there's a chance, even though he doesn't believe it, he knows something could happen here. And Daniel answers, may the king live forever. I mean, he finds the ability, you want to work out a culture of honor, you want to know how to honor governments in tough times, even unjust governments? May the king live forever. May God, my God, sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in a sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. I love the Bible doesn't spare any details. It's just what it is. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I love the name Daniel. My youngest boy's name, 
speaks of strength and God being his judge. But Daniel's three mates, they are exiles and foreigners. But I want to speak this morning about being a prisoner of his presence. I just want to tell you a few things about the presence of God. The first one, maybe you want to get a clever word today, omnipresent. Omnipresent. God is, he is everywhere. He is not limited in any way. The Psalm 139 puts it this way. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If you were in church in the 90s, if I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in, it's it just, I mean, we start getting the group. It's, it's, it's just amazing. It says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, you're there with me. God is everywhere. He's in the heavens and the earth. There's no limitations. We see that in Psalm 8. Starts and ends with the God who is all over the earth. God's presence takes up residence. And Romans 8 tells us that God's spirit is inside of every believer. Ephesians tells us every believer who encounters the grace of God is sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And God can reveal his presence in any way he wants. To Moses, a burning bush. To Aaron, a a budding staff. To Elijah, well, a whole bunch of creative ways. Those prophets had it cool. And there were a whole bunch of other things. Cornelius, a whole different bunch of ways. God revealed himself to people and he wants to reveal himself to you. And show himself faithful. But I want to make three simple points. And I'm using the theme of prisoners of hope. But point number one, a presence of God and being a prisoner of his presence. Number one, it's a life sentence. Stay with me. It'll make sense. The challenges most people struggle with, time. My, my goals weren't met in time. My promotion didn't come in time. God, where are you? I haven't been healed in the time that I had in mind. Where are you, God? You see, Daniel, 15 or 16 years old, into captivity. When is the story playing out? We simply we play Daniel in the lion's den and in the kids' cartoon books, he's this young, strong guy who gets thrown. No, he's not. He's 81 or 82 years old because for 67 years, he's been in captivity. For 67 years, he's worshipped God. For 67 years, every day, even though in a foreign land, in tough circumstance, he has praised God because he's tasted of the goodness of God. And the major theme of Daniel that comes to us is that Believers, individual believers can have victory in tough situations and thrive. Come on. And thrive if they understand that their God is with them. Why and how? Just the presence of God. You can't explain it to someone who's not encountered it. You can't try to convince someone that it's real. But Daniel knew it. Daniel didn't have anyone in the pit with him. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they had the fourth man in the fire. He didn't. But God was with him. See, too many believers are focused on what's going on around rather than what's inside and what's going on inside of us. I love verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned the decree that had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had always done. A couple simple things. You see, I think that Daniel was made great and because he saw his God as great. He, he, he worshipped his God. So he had this routine in his life. He built it in. It was a normal day. It says, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Please understand, he's a busy man. He's a judge. He's one of the very top governors in the land. He's got things to do, people to see. And yet three times a day, he takes time out. He walks home, which at 81, 82 years old in those days, it's a walk. And he prioritizes this time. 
in his day. And this says three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. Didn't matter they were 80-something-year-old knees, and he'd done it for 67 years. He got down on his knees and he prayed because he had tasted of the goodness of God. He wasn't making a statement. He was doing what he'd always done. He says, okay, you've brought this decree. I can fight it, or I can do what I've always done. And then it says, just as he had always done. I think if it had just stopped after he got on his knees, he could have been accused of being this petulant kind of, well, and, and sometimes Christians do it, if I'm being honest. It's like, I'm going to make a statement now, a religious statement. Look at me. If I just hold the Bible in the right space, or I do this. But this isn't that. The Bible doesn't lie. The Bible says he goes home amidst a busy day and a busy life. He gets down on his knees because he's tasted of the presence and the power of God, even in exile and pain and challenge, and as he had always done. For 67 years. This was a life sentence. The life sentence was an exile. The life sentence was the presence of God is at hand. It's yours. It's accessible wherever you are. Whatever prison or pain you find yourself in, there is a king who will meet you with his promises and his goodness and his kindness. And Daniel knew that. And if you want the results of, the life, of his life, you have to see that and say, well, how? See, the lion's den. He wasn't trying to fight off those animals. He had been trained in the presence of God. He wasn't trying to fight off anything. He had been trained in the presence of God and committed himself, and he knew his God was with him. So that wasn't a fight. And so the Bible says in two verses, that thing was done. There's no details of how the night went. His emotions, how he felt in the corner, isolated because the lions didn't come from him. He didn't look juicy enough. I, it's not about that. It's about the 67 years. The life sentence of the presence of God into eternity that we have. And I love that. It calls me, I want to tell you that Exodus, the whole Exodus story was never about God teaching his people how to eat manna or how to get water from a rock. No, it ends like this, and I've preached this so many times. So in all the travels of the Israelites, Exodus 40, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they would not set out. Until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of the Israelites during all their travels. God was always only looking for a people who were seeking His presence and to position themselves before that. It's all He was ever looking for. It's all He ever wants. Secondly, and I want to jump into this, it's an ever-increasing satisfaction. I'm going to tell you why this is important. Well, In Psalm 34 it says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. I wouldn't mind a bit of blessing. I want, I want blessed. Hashtag blessed. Never got the license plate. Someone else got it first. But fear the Lord, you, his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry. Oh, there's lions here too. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You see, in, in this world, there's this law that works for anything good in this life. Anything good. It's called the law of diminishing returns. It's an economic principle, but it can be pulled into anything. Even ice creams. Here's the fact. You can have too many. I know some of you are like, that's not possible. No, it's real. Eat one Magnum of choice. Just by chance, chose that brand. Eat two. Eat three. Eat four. And eventually what you find is number five is not as good as number one was. Number ten is really not good. And your curve of satisfaction that you're getting from these things of this earth. You see, everything in this life, everything, money, adventure, exhilaration of any kind, anything in this life has a diminishing return factor to it except for the presence of God. Wow. 
And Daniel knew this and it kept him on his knees for 67 years. He knew there was no diminishing return. And you can throw me in a lion's pit, but there's one thing I've encountered in this life. One thing alone, the presence of God that sustains and holds and does not diminish at all and cannot be eroded at all. And you can fight me and you can put laws in place, but it will not stop me pursuing his presence. See, it's the only thing in this life and on this side of eternity that will not diminish in the satisfaction it brings. The only thing. Sex, money, power, they will all have a measure of diminishing returns. It's a law of this life, but it's not a law of the presence of God. So we get pulled into them. And the last one, simple one, influence is found on our knees. And I love this, and this is how Daniel 6 ends. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. You want to know about influence? This is a king, a a foreign God-worshipping, a self-worshipping king. He writes a song of praise to God. Why? Because of Daniel. He says this, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God as he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. This foreign king writes a song of praise, writes a number one hit for the church to sing at church. I don't know about you, but I want that from my life. And I don't think it's going to come by me shouting and screaming on social media platforms. Just being honest. I don't think it's going to come by me trying to position myself to be the guy that maybe gets pulled into the media. I think it's going to come when I stay on my knees three times a day, every day. Sun, rain, or shine. Money in the bank or no money in the bank. Dreams ahead or no dreams ahead. People at the door, no one at the door. People listening or no one listening, knowing that I'm in the presence of God. Why? Because I want kings to worship the living God. And it's, it's an amazing, it tells us in Daniel 2, and I won't teach it now, but it says Daniel answered, the king calls, like Joseph, he, Daniel's a dream interpreter, and the king couldn't have a dream, so he calls Daniel. Why? Because Daniel be in the presence of God. And then it says, Daniel finds himself in the presence of the king. He says, king, why am I here? Daniel didn't even know. And the only thing that gets us into the presence of kings is our pursuit of the presence of the king. And he calls us, and he calls us, says, I want you to prosper. And this is what I love. It says this in the last line of that scripture. Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. In the worst kings known to man, the most abusive to their enemies, in the days where there were no civil rights or, I don't know, treaties beyond nations where, where you would do anything to your enemy. He prospered. I want that for you. I want that for me. I want my kids to know that it doesn't matter what's going on in this world. There's a king who's got prospering for them. This is what Psalm 1 says. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. His satisfaction is in the law of the Lord and he meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prospers. I want that for my life and I want that for your life. And I'm telling you, Daniel's not just given us as this no hope. You can never get there. Daniel's life is given to us to say it's available for you. 
Will you remain a prisoner of hope and a prisoner of His promises and a prisoner of His presence? And man won't understand that this world will never be able to explain the power that comes into your life when you stay there. You keep going back there. Inconvenient sometimes. Challenging sometimes. But you will prosper. You will prosper. You're working for a tough boss. You're facing finances, challenges, debt coming. You will prosper when you stay in the presence of the living God. I want to live a life as an exile in this world because here's what the Bible says, we're just exiles in this world. We long for heaven, but we can tap into aspects of heaven like the presence of God where we will be in His presence intimately. We have that now too. That's available for us. It's not because you went to church that's available. It's because you hunger and thirst and you have tasted and you keep tasting of the promises. It's not a once-off taste. Mm, I'm satisfied now. Don't need to taste that again. I don't know about you, but when I taste something good, like a milk tart that landed in my fridge the other night, that thing was done. But the presence of God will never be done. And I want more. And I keep coming back for more. And because I know when I come back for more, He fills me with power for the next day, even when I can't get there. So it's my safe place. Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Go of hope. Come back to your safe place. Get back into your safe space. It's not a safe room in your house. It's not a bank account full of money. It's the presence of God. Whether you get on your knees or you stand and sing. It's the presence of God. Three things. It's a life sentence. I tasted God when I was 14 years old. I've never stopped wanting more. Change my life and it'll change yours. Maybe you've done church for 50 years, but if you haven't tasted, I want to ask you to taste how good He is. Secondly, it's an ever-increasing satisfaction. Everything in this life will fade give you diminishing returns, but His presence and His kindness and His goodness and His love and His eyes upon us changes everything. And I want to tell you thirdly that if you want influence for your life to count and matter in the nations of this world for the kingdom of God, you'll find influence on your knees, not raising yourself up to places that He hasn't raised you up. Stay on your knees until He raises you up. And even when He raises you up, stay on your knees. Why? Because God's at work. Maybe a world's falling apart, but I want to tell you, Daniel could have fought that for 67 years. He could have felt that for his whole life. But he found something in the presence of God. He was a prisoner of the presence of God, and even busyness of life couldn't stop him. Why don't we do this together this week? You and I, three times a day, whether it's a minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, or whatever you can bring, three times a day, let's pray together. And I don't want to give you times because our lives are very different. Some are up at five and some are waking up later. But three times a day, can we find ourselves on our knees? Together, as a church, petitioning God, thanking Him for His goodness. And I promise you, we will encounter the greatest love and kindness and power for life we've ever encountered. Can I pray for us this morning? Is that good? God, there's so many things I'd love to say. And, but I pray this and this alone. May every person today taste and see taste and see how good you are. For the hearts that are broken now, I pray let them taste and see right now 
I pray for the people who are watching saying, Mark, I don't even know if I've ever tasted. I don't even know if I'm sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. I pray right now, bow your knee before the King of Kings, wherever you are. Right now, make a decision to make Him Lord of your life. Forget what land you are in. Forget what oppresses upon your life. Right now, make Him King and say, God, be King of my life. And allow His power to come upon you right now. The power of God upon your people now, God, I pray. We give you glory and praise. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you for being with us. What an absolute privilege. Keep pursuing God.